0: You're listening to Celtic Stuff Live on CLS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. We are continuing our off-season interview series today with John Corrales from RedsArmy.com, as well as the Rain and Jays podcast on the Locked On Network. Really excited to get into it with John here. He has been around in that first wave of internet. Media Celtics based coverage. Celtics blog obviously coming in the first round, but Celtics Stuff Live and Reds Army coming soon after that. So we'll step again into the Wayback Machine and talk with John here in just a minute. We're going to get right into it, but a reminder first to follow Celtics Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live, as well as your host, myself at CSL underscore Justin, and my co host, John Duke at CSL underscore Duke. The entire CLNS Radio network can be followed at CLNS Radio. And don't forget our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash CLNS fans. Download the app for iOS and Android. Simply go to your app marketplace and search CLNS Radio. And our most recent guest in the off-season interview series, Jared Weiss, hosts the Garden Report on our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com backslash CLNS Radio. All right, let's get right to John Corrales of redsarmy.com. John, thanks for thanks for coming on the show. It's been a, an interesting series and we'd be remiss if we didn't have you on now. Well, I
1: wouldn't want you to be remiss.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I'm always missing the mark. I it seems like remissed would be perfect.
1: Yeah. I what's what's the opposite of remissed? Is it just missed or I don't know.
0: Or 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 you're just, or you're it's present. It's there. You're you're not if you can't miss it, then you wouldn't be remiss, right? Yeah, let's go with I that. I don't know. We'll, we'll stick with that. But uh, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'm going to go. You and I just had a, a two-second conversation as we let into it, and we came out like wildfire, fire, lightning in a bottle. Uh, <laughs> we were so ready to go for this. And so I'm just going to go ahead and hit it. But, you know, we talked about a lot in this series so far about social media and the impact, but the conversation you and I just had was how all of a sudden you know, there's a way to kind of keep August and September a little entertaining. And, and you and I were saying, hey, if it weren't for social media, and you remember trying to do this maybe 12 years ago and record a podcast, we'd have nothing to talk about. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that, this August and September are dead months, yet we are able to continue to talk about things that are semi-interesting or at least things that can spark a conversation and just continue doing this thing without missing much of a beat. And The conversations are a little bit different, but look, we, we go through the season, so the end of September and October, we're starting to get into the season now, and then the season goes along, playoffs, blah, 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 by July, we're talking about our free agency and our trades, and then July ends, and everything dies, but that's when the guys come alive on Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and whatever. Because that's the time where these guys are also not doing a whole lot. So they're bored. They're tweeting. They're doing things. They're keeping themselves busy. And we're sitting there following along going, oh, that's something funny. Here's here's uh, Isaiah Thomas hitting 20 jump shots in a row during an, uh, a Seattle Seahawks players-only meeting or something like that. Here's a. Uh, Somebody shared a tweet of Kelly Linux's face on a fence and cam loops. Like <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I mean, come on, like this is all just it's just crazy and it's fun. And, you know, except when Terry Rozier completely screws up and puts a stripper laden Snapchat story together. But even that's something to talk about.
0: So yeah. yeah, and it's not like he doesn't have the right to be there. But what is interesting about social media, and and we talked about this a little bit last week, or on the last show on Monday with Jared Weiss, but it was like before that never even would have hit the newswire. Nobody would have ever seen that. Nobody. I mean, we all sort of assume athletes might go to strip clubs if they're single, young, and have lots of money, right? Um, and let's, gambling.
1: Let's, let's don't forget, single doesn't a matter. Forget young that's true. doesn't matter. Forget how much money they make. It doesn't matter. Athletes go to strip clubs. Like that is a given that happens. That's that's just how it goes. And that's fine. That is fine. That is a legal activity. It's not you know, we can question the morality and some people find it immoral and some people don't. Whatever. That's fine. That's your opinion. But the legality of it is not in question. He's everybody there is consenting. He didn't do anything wrong, but the the thing with the social media is it allows us to see into these players' lives, and they have to be careful. Social media has completely changed the game. It has changed so much, not just about us podcasting. It's changed how they get endorsements. It's changed how they are perceived, and guys can completely craft an image through social media that will make them favorable that will make them more marketable. If they get a big enough following, it doesn't matter what market you're in. You could be Damian Lillard playing in Portland, which is not a big market, and have a big uh, marketing presence because you got a ton of followers, and you become one of the Adidas prime spokespeople. You don't need to play in Chicago. You don't need to play in Houston or New York or L.A. or Boston. So social media has completely revolutionized the sport and how the players in there are marketed and
0: perceived. So, it's, and they get to manage their own personal brand exactly I mean, we we talked about personal brand on the last show, but more about how you manage your own personal brand as maybe a blogger and whatnot, but we never even got into the implications of social media on the personal brand of the players because they can still they're still going to be notable if they can play on the floor and they can leave it out there, they can score, they can play defense, they make a name for themselves, they become a starter, then they become a star, whatever level they're at. The truth is is that they're going to have a personal brand no matter what, and they're going to be recognizable, and they're also going to be forgiven for some of these things. And at the same time, it could definitely hurt their ability, like you mentioned, endorsements. That could be a real killer. I think this one flies under the radar Absolutely. for Terry. You know, and this is sort of a personal opinion about your own morals like you just brought up. But there are definitely other sticky situations a la maybe a center for the Golden State Warriors that (laughs) wound up in one that that would definitely could hurt somebody's personal brand or help it depending on what they're trying to brand.
1: Yes, absolutely, depending on what you're trying to brand. But the, the thing about social media is that you can control it. It can get out of control, though. And this is the lesson for Terry Rozier. And it's not that I'm telling him how to live his life or that anybody should tell him how to live his life. But when you're out there on social media, you have to understand You control what you put out there and you can screw up just like anywhere. You can screw up and be forgiven. But the thing about tweeting or Instagramming or whatever, you choose what aspects of your personal life people see, which means somebody could, if you hang around me, let's say all day long, you wake up, you're there, you follow me around through my day, you get to see all of my little idiosyncrasies all the little things that distract me, my little quirks, the times that I get pissed off, and you get to see all those little cracks in whatever facade I'm trying to put out there. But if you follow me on social media, if you follow my Twitter, I get to tweet what I want about myself. I get to tweet my sneakers. I get to tweet my basketball. I get to tweet whatever it is that I want to tweet. And if I want to be particularly careful I can make myself look a certain way and hide all of those cracks in the facade. So that's what, that's when you say building a brand and putting your brand out there, you can put out there what you want about yourself and have people buy into that. And people get this inside look, they feel like they know you. So players need to be very well aware that you can craft a certain image. Like Russell Wilson is a perfect example Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, perfect example of crafting an image through social media. He's like Mr. Pristine, virgin, great guy on social media, but the rumblings are out there. You don't have to search too far on the internet to see that the it is all a very crafted image. So, But it works for him, and it's gotten him endorsements,
0: and millions of people love him for it. So... Blessing. Well, you used to you used to hear terms like inner circle or a player's handlers. You know what I mean? Where somebody was managed by a team and that personal brand, and they're almost insulated. But the snapchats and the phones, and combine that with a little alcohol, and the next thing you know, there's a break in the trouble. seal. Absolutely. And so you mentioned Russell uh, Westbrook, which is you know a great one, but. You know, at the same time, too, like, remember Tony Allen? I mean, how much stuff do you think would have come out? Remember the nightclub in Chicago? Mm -hmm. There was that incident way back, and I remember we lambasted him for it. And I guess I would say, like, imagine how much information would have come out. Do you think because there's an abundance of this from players, do you think social media has the fan base? And then we're going to separate it. We're going to say fan base versus, you know, maybe traditional mainstream media. Are they more or less forgiving in this kind of an environment, right? Because you used to not hear anything. So the minute Tony Allen's mixed up in something, we immediately go, oh, he was a thug, or he was at the heart of it, or he's responsible. But we don't really have the details for that. Whereas now, you get slow leaks about people's personalities or what they're doing in their free time. Do you think we're more or less forgiving because of social media?
1: Social media, that's a good question. It's hard to answer. Prior to social media, I think we were see we were reliant on on reporters and columnists to get the image of of people, and we didn 't get the full story of who people were. Um, we can be more forgiving. I think humans are generally a forgiving being anyway if you can if you do something wrong and you come out and you own it and you apologize and you you try to move on from it generally speaking, we will all move on from it. If you come out and in, insincere, if I, if I was Draymond green and he did this, he just like, look, I screwed up. I did this. I, I shouldn't have done it. It's a real dumb thing for me to do. I'm sorry that I did it. I gotta be better. You know, I didn't think I was sending it out to everybody, but I was, you know, I had a few drinks and boom, done. Now to me, that makes that I'm much more willing to be forgiving because that humanizes him because I can see myself doing something stupid like that if I use the social media in that way. So, yeah, we, we can be more forgiving in a lot of ways. But we can also be much less forgiving in some ways, too, with social media. I keep going back to Larry Bird. I'm so glad that Larry Bird didn't play in an age of social media because he, first of all, Larry Bird was kind of a dick. And, and we love his dickishness. <laughs> Because it's pure Boston. It's pure, you know, middle finger and, you know, screw you kind of thing. But Larry Burr was kind of a dick. And he called out his teammates publicly in, in ways that maybe would have been portrayed differently in social media. He got into a bar fight. He broke his hand. He, he was gruff. He, he just, there were a lot of things. Isn't
0: that, that the one that Sha- Shaughnessy got in trouble for breaking? Yeah. Didn't Larry get upset about that? Yeah. yeah. Like, but he did these things. Now,
1: we didn't find out about that until. Way, way, way after the fact. But don't you think if that had happened today, there wouldn't have been a tweet somewhere? OMG, totally just saw Larry Bird clock a guy in the face. You know, like there'd probably be video. There would be. There'd be like within like someone would tweet that someone would tweet that at me or at you. And I'd be like, really? I need confirmation on that. I'd retweet it. And then people would be like, oh, yeah, here's this person's Snapchat. Here's this person's Instagram. Here's this. And next thing you know, there'd be, like, this grainy video. It was like, yep, that's totally Larry Bird. He threw a left hand. He broke his foot. He broke his – you know, like, that's – we would see all of that stuff. And we'd make snap judgments, and people would be like, look at him. He's just some hick that gets into fights. And, yeah, he's good, but – dot, dot, dot. Like, that that would be an issue. That would have been an issue for him for sure. And then – Kevin McHale would he be boogie cousins oh I don't think he'd be that bad but I mean he'd still have like he he wouldn't be because he because he
0: was on a winning team right but what if what if Larry had been drafted by a team that wasn't a winning team and he was still poking the bear like that
1: oh that would be a different story but I always say situation matters but it's just it would have been so different. Just the introduction of social media would have been so different. I, I picture Kevin McHale. Now Kevin McHale seems to be a little more sensitive. I feel like he might have said some things over social media or that might have been kind of like, huh, I wonder what Kevin's talking about, and might have stoked some interest in local writers that maybe would have exposed some things that didn't get exposed. So, What
0: about Bill Walton on social oh my media God. back in the day? Oh what a goldmine. You want to talk about, I mean, just think about all the Snapchats from from the uh, Grateful Dead shows and everything coming out. I mean, you want to talk about filling in August and September. I bet he's on a mad, you know, he'd probably be, you know, touring around with the Grateful Dead, just snapping photos oh, the whole time. Yeah,
1: yeah, his August would be just crazy. Be like, oh, what's all that smoke around Bill Walton's head? Hope, <laughs> hope there are no drug tests today. You know, like, come on. Would have been totally different
0: how long, you know what, here's another one I'm going to throw at you then too, because you just threw out drug tests and talking about Bill Walton and the smoke, but you know, the NFL has got this huge thing about, you know, these guys are on pain meds and we're pumping them through all these pain meds and, you know, you kind of know they've got to be, you know, doing steroids that can't be detected by the tests that they have and you hear all of that stuff and then you have these guys that are coming out and saying oh, well, you know, marijuana should be legal, it's way not as hard as these, you know, prescription for oxycodone or OxyContin, etc., how long before the NBA gets gets down that path? Because they don't really have the pain thing, but you know, with Colorado legislature and a lot of other states trying to pass at least you know legalization for medicinal purposes and all that, it really hasn't entered NBA culture that much. But you have to think it's knocking on the door. Weed? Are you saying weed yeah. hasn't? It has, but I don't, but nobody's coming out. Like you see, I, I can't remember the NFL player, but I'm just saying a couple of players have really come out and said, right. you know, this should, this I, should be legal. I, I see what you're saying. Nobody, nobody I, in the NBA is coming out and saying, look, this should be legal. Do you see what, you see what I know, I'm I know. I know what at? you're saying
1: because everybody smokes weed. In the
0: right, because it's prominent in, you would think. I, I guess I'm making an assumption. The assumption is that it's prominent in the NBA, right? And then, But nobody in the NBA is really speaking out about no all one's, that. No one's coming
1: out and saying, you
0: know, to legalize it. No, but,
1: and it's still banned. It's still, I, I don't think, and and the NBA, by the way, is quiet about its first couple of drug violations so they're
0: very. They understand managing that personal brand. Yeah, and it's not next man up like it is in the NFL. They the NFL can chew through star players like nobody's business, but the NBA really relies on its studs to stay in the limelight as long as possible.
1: Yeah. So I, I look. I wouldn't be surprised. The NBA is a very progressive league. They have taken some pretty good stands on. A lot of the issues today, like they, that, they moved the All-Star game over yeah. North Carolina's bathroom law. And that's a pretty strong stand to make. Now, marijuana is a little bit different because it is a drug. Uh, I think as the American attitude towards marijuana continues to evolve, so will the NBA's. Especially when, look, this is just an unknown, I guess an unspoken fact that it's It's very widespread, I think everybody kind of assumes it. I think most people I've heard a lot of the stories. The guys know when the drug tests are coming, when they've been tested, they know when it's clear they they most of these guys do it, and that's fine like to me personally, my personal opinion is it's fine. I sit here after work and pour myself a couple of glasses of whiskey, and that's fine this is if this is I don't want to go down a political road, but to me, it, 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 I, I hold it in the same regard as alcohol. And we're not we're not alcohol testing these guys unless they've had prior problems with alcoholism. So I I, I just see the NBA eventually moving down that road, following the lead of local legislatures. If enough local states, maybe not the the the, the US Government in general, but if enough states start to legalize it, especially states with NBA teams, if if every state with an NBA team suddenly decides to legalize marijuana then the NBA could just say, you know what, we're not going to test for marijuana anymore. They're
0: still going to be worried about parents' perceptions of the message that it sends to their kids. You know, you don't see an NBA NBA player doing a commercial with a rocks glass full of whiskey, right? So, you know, they're still going to try to present this wholesome image, I think, regardless. But if the legislature goes down that road... Then you could see it open the door for players being more public about it in general. Just like you've seen players, and this is why I kind of asked the question because Snapchat is is already bordering on sort of break. You know what I mean? It gave to- Terry Rozier again; he didn't do anything illegal, but it allowed him to sort of expose his fan base to maybe some things that are considered a little fringe by most parents in America. And honestly, John, this is why we don't have to go down this road like crazy. Like you said, you want to get into the political stuff. But this is why I was so in uh, this is why you're such a good guest for the show, because and what I like about you is that we can talk about maybe some of the more difficult conversations. If there's one thing I've seen on Twitter from you that you're not afraid to get into a debate about something that maybe you have strong feelings about or that maybe is a little more, I don't know, I guess maybe risque, you know, but you're willing to play ball. Like your brand is part of, you know, is presenting part of a, hey, I'm not afraid. You know what I mean? And you've been that way since the very start with Red's Army, you even talk about, you know, the alcohol thing. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I am immediately think Vin Baker, which yeah. half the people listening to the show don't even know who Vin Baker is, probably. Oh,
1: I know, I know. Yeah, look, you know what? I, I, I'm not afraid to speak my mind, uh, because I'm lucky enough to have a, a little bit of a platform. It's not a huge platform, but I see myself as somebody who has grown somewhat of an audience and there's certain, there's certain topics out there that I feel strongly about. And I think like, I'm not going to hop in on, you know, local political races or anything like that, but I'm not afraid to say that Trump is, you know, hurting the country or, uh, you know, this Colin Kaepernick thing, which I've gotten, uh, some flack over that I, you know, my opinion on that stuff, I, I feel like it's important for anybody with at least a little bit of a voice to speak that. And and I, I will engage in that debate with anybody because I feel like even if, even if I end up being proven wrong, that I at least have presented my side and if, if I end up being wrong on an issue, then that's good for me. I, I'd rather engage in the debate and find out that I'm wrong than – stay silent
0: and believe that I'm right. I think one of the hugest issues in our country, and it does play out in the political race in general and has in politics for at least as long as I've been aware of politics. I had a debate with somebody the other day, and I was like, it seems like it's this these days. And then they said, well, it's kind of always been that way, don't you think? And then I thought about it, and I said, no, you're right. It's always been where we have to vote against the bad guy. And I also feel like that the, you know instead of voting for a candidate and nobody really talks about collaboration. but I think the real message about what you're saying is that there should be room for debate regardless of the opinions that everybody again, the freedom of speech is one of the great things about this country. So for Kaepernick and even Trump, even if you disagree with Trump, Trump has a right to say whatever he wants to say. you know in some cases if if you're anti-trump, then at least what you what you can value the fact that everybody has a right to say what they want to say, and the great thing is is that you get to provide a counterpoint or express that you disagree and you know in many countries that aren't democracies that's not the case and so um, I think That's one thing that social media, again, just to tie it all together, has allowed is for some debate. At the same time, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day, it's like I uninstalled Facebook. I couldn't take it anymore because it seemed like most people were on there just to present an opinion and have everybody nod their heads. And the minute you had a dissenting opinion you know it just devolved and so when the political stuff started hitting over the last 12 months i just couldn't take it anymore It was just too much negativity i had some friends that were really far left and i had some friends that were really far right and they weren't necessarily clashing together but i was a little bit more in the middle saying hey hold on let's let's try to find a happy medium and have you know some discourse that i feel like is an intelligent one and maybe we all learn from each other but there are aspects of social media to 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 the point i'm trying to make where it seems like people are just going on there to be around like minded people and become more entrenched in their views, and I feel like the possibilities of social media and maybe Twitter's a little bit better at this, is that we could actually have some pretty honest discourse and learn to respect each other's opinions
1: yeah, you know this this reminds me of the line from Goodwill Hunting, where they're sitting by the the pond in the common, I believe. And Robin Williams turns to Matt Damon and he says, You're an orphan, right? Do you think I have any idea what you've been through because I've read Oliver Twist?
0: (laughs) Amen. It's a great line. Have a little understanding and know that it's really hard to empathize when you have no experience to base it off.
1: Right. So when somebody like Colin Kaepernick speaks, Or if he says he's representing certain people. Or anybody. Just take just take me and you. We have a common bond through all of this. We have a lot in common. However, I am the firstborn son of Greek immigrants. And people just don't, unless you have had that experience, you don't know what my America is like. I grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, in a neighborhood that evolved significantly. And... I remember playing catch in the driveway with my little brother who was at that point, God, I want to say like four or five or six years old, somewhere like that, and cops pulling up across the street from me in a drug raid, middle of the day. And I have to run and grab my brother and run inside the house and stay low and far away from, from the front of the house. Like that's my, that's my America. This is what I grew up in. That's not your America, and that's not the America of everybody else who's listening. We all have a different idea of what this is, good and bad. And when Colin Kaepernick does what he does, let's say, I'm just going down this road. I'm not sitting there saying I completely agree with everything that he's saying or how he did it, but and people will say, "Well, he shouldn't have protested that way." Well, would you have listened to him if he did if he if he protest if he sat there and said after the game hey by the way i'd like to bring up something uh is important to me how police <laughs> bring black people he'll be like ah whatever but because he sat down and 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 raised this fuss
0: we encourage it we sat, we encourage what people to think that right this is the only way that you draw attention i i you know again i don't It makes for crappy interviews when you agree with everything somebody says, but in this case, it we whether you like it or not, doing something that makes people angry is one of the only ways to get attention in our current state of media, because that's what gets clicks. That's it. That's what if they can get your cackles up, they own you. Right. Which is exactly why I uninstalled Facebook. I said I have to unplug from this behavior because first off it's not I'm over 40 so now it's not good for my heart and secondly um it's just not good for the people around me when I start out my day sipping a cup of coffee flipping through political and you know there are a lot of websites out there that are just manufacturing you know, propaganda for both sides of the equation. I mean, I listen. I grew up, I'm Maine, so you can imagine most of my family's Democrat. I grew up pretty Democrat. I am a registered independent, and I do lean a little bit to the Democratic side. However, I keep an open mind, and I can I can see the propaganda that punches out from both sides of the issue. It's like God, that's a lot of negativity. But again, to go back to what you said, I mean, at least what Colin Kaepernick did wasn't, re- I don't think it's as bad as people want to make it out to be. You know, I just think some people are insulted and, you know, I think the media also sees a great opportunity and they know that on the one hand, there's, it's a no lose situation for traditional media, right? They either find the people that disagree with Colin Kaepernick and those people are up and air about it. And then anybody who kind of goes, ah, it's not that big of a deal, you know, are probably the people who sort of side with what the statement is he's trying to make.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I'll, I'll wrap it up. My, my part of this interview with two things. Basically what Colin Kaepernick did, Colin Kaepernick did was uh, a buzzfeed clickbait headline that this NFL football player sat down during the national anthem and you won't believe what he said next. Like that's what he did. He basically clickbaited you into listening to what he had to say, his political message. And I'll wrap it up the only way I know how with a Simpsons reference. The episode where uh, Principal Skinner and Mrs. Keropol have that secret affair and they're holed up in the are you a Simpsons fan?
0: I haven't watched in years. Okay. I love the show, but it's been a long time. Like Simpsons I, fans I we cut the cord a while ago. Yeah. So. so
1: there's this it's a great episode where they have this secret affair and there it's it's found out and it gets put whatever whatever so they're going to come out and principal skinner is going to make this big revelation that he is a virgin and he's just they're saying just go out and say it and bart says you can't just go say it. You have to get their attention. And I know how to get their attention. And he straps a bunch of hot dogs around Principal Skinner and pushes them <laughs> out there. And he says, I have a bomb. And everybody goes, Oh. And then, you
0: know, but that, right. and then that's they, the, And then they drop the bomb. He's a virgin, right. not a real bomb. Right. That's, excellent. that's excellent.
1: That's what he, you have to get people's attention. You can't just sit there and be like, um, Excuse me, uh, excuse me. I have a very important point I'd like to make. Um, pardon me. Excuse me. You're going to be like, hey! Hey, I'm talking here! That's what you get people's attention. You smack them in the face. Listen to me! I got a point to make. Those are the people you're like, what the f- is wrong with you, man? Fine, talk. That's what Kaepernick did.
0: That's, that that is that is where we're headed and it's it is the only way you have to do it. attention absolutely all right we're talking with John Corrales of the Locked On podcast Rain and Jays as well as RedsArmy.com the interview is brought to you by Fan Essentials how would you like to get all of your favorite NBA teams merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep just check out FanEssentials.net all you do is pick your favorite sports team and I imagine if you're listening to John and I then it has to be the Celtics every month you get team gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. And each one of these fan boxes comes fully packed with some amazing gear. It's a great gift idea for any sports fan, especially a Celtics fan. Prices start at just thirty-four ninety-nine, and you can support Celtics Stuff Live and we'll help you by saving you 30% on your first month of your subscription by using promo code CSL2016 at the checkout. Go to fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need. And just a reminder, we give away one free month each week to one of our listeners all you got to do is retweet our show announcement with the hashtag fan essentials make sure you're following at csl underscore tweet live so we can send you a direct message with how you can redeem your prize and we will be announcing the winner on monday's show but now back to john john let's go back to kind of the beginning right because red's army has been around since very very early and even when I think I emailed you to see if you would come on. I brought up an oldie but goodie, but perkisabeast.com. Yeah. And uh, I think it was Jeff Clark bought, brought up the Buckets Brigade. And I'm just remembering some of these websites. It's all It's crazy how many websites have sort of come and gone, but there's been some staples out there. And I wanted to first just ask you to kind of talk about how you got into Red's Army, how you came up with the name. And one thing that was pretty notable was that I don't want to say a yin to Jeff Clark and Celtics blogs Yang, but you had a yeah, different kind that's of shtick. You, you met a niche. And it, yeah, so maybe I mean, maybe that was part of the inspiration I'll for give your the idea, whole story. or maybe
1: it was just you. Yeah, no, tell us. It's, so, okay, so me and Chuck McKenney we're the, were the two people who started red's So, he, Chuck and I met in college, actually. He played basketball at Emerson. He was a year ahead of me when I got there. We played it together for a season. And then he, he quit the team to go focus on his journalism. Emerson has a pretty good journalism program. It's one of the best in the country. So he left to focus on that. I continued playing basketball, whatever. We kind of lost touch. And then we both got into television. We got, both got into producing. And I got a job at WVZ, Channel 4 producing the 5 a.m. show so i was working overnights i get there and who's producing the 6 a.m. show chuck freaking McKenney. i'm like hey i remember you and then we just re- that's pretty crazy yeah
0: i mean serendipitous to say the least
1: right so we rekindled our friendship and you, when you work overnights like we would get there at 11 p.m. and work straight overnight. And that was the time where Boston Dirt Dogs uh, was was big. That was a big thing. I remember Boston Dirt Dogs. If people don't remember or don't or haven't heard of it,
0: didn't Kurt Schilling like sneak onto that site, but kind of tried to lay low for a while or oh, something like that? I don't that? remember
1: that. I don't remember that. Mm. I mean, now these were in my younger days. I could focus a lot on all of the local teams. I wasn't as into the Celtics like I am now. Like. I back then I could turn off a crappy game and be like, ah, oh, this is terrible. Let me see what the Bruins are doing, you know, like that's what I used to do. So I would follow everything. And so, anyway, we were reading Dirt Dogs, and Dirt Dogs was great because they had that sarcastic type of uh writing style, they photoshopped a lot, and we loved it. We were just totally into it, they were hilarious. And one day, Chuck and I were looking at this, and One of us said, we should do this for the Celtics. And then it was like that record scratch, look at each other at the same time. We're like, wait a minute. We should do this for the Celtics. So the first idea for RedsArmy.com at that point, as yet unnamed, was we're going to basically mirror what Boston Dirt Dogs was doing. A sarcastic you know just couple of guys well you did a lot of photoshop too i and mean that's, you, you mentioned that was a big that thing that was a big thing for us early like we we really we essentially copied boston dirt dogs which is that's how a lot of i think of these things happen you you find something you like and just like anything that you create if you're a writer if you're a musician singer whatever anything an artist you th- Find something that you like, like I'm a musician and I love, you know, the rolling stones. So if you're starting to write music, you're going to start writing a lot of rolling stones inspired stuff. So we started doing a lot of Boston dirt dogs inspired stuff. And then we started to find our own voices. Um, when we were coming up with the name, we we're like, all right, what, who are we? What is this? What does this blog mean? What, what are we doing? well, if we are Celtics fans, what, who are Celtics fans? We follow the Celtics. If you follow the Celtics, then you follow Red. Red is our leader. Red is the general. And if Red is the general, then we are Red's army. That's where we came up with the name. That we are, as Celtics fans, throughout all time, Red is the general. And we, the fans, we are Red's army. And that's where we came up with the name. So uh, from that day, it was like eleven years ago. Jesus, eleven years ago. Time flies. See,
0: I would I almost I know time flies and I'm with you there, but I almost thought it was longer than that yeah. just because you were there in that first that first wave, I wanna call yeah. it you know like Clock it was talking...
1: around and right. like you guys were around but we were just kind of like catching on. Like we weren't that far behind. We were in that initial sequence. Um, we, we started just kind of eventually our own personalities started creeping into what we were doing and it was still, and we still do that sarcastic joking around, keep it fun, keep it light.
0: Yeah. But you've evolved a little bit over time.
1: We definitely have now. Um, I have gone down – like, Chuck and I have gone down some slightly different paths. Chuck is, isn't, is focused – like, I still want to make this my full-time career. And Chuck does too, but Chuck also has kids, and he has to be realistic, and he has to get something that's going to pay him more. I'm still kind of, you know, going with this. I have, I have pitched myself I, – I do radio hits, I do the podcast –
0: I have. I've heard you do a lot of hits in Maine, which actually is fantastic. Like I, I know you're on uh, the radio station in Bangor, the ZON station. I know yep. theirs their call letters aren't ZON, but it's Stephen King's station. And and I used to do a spot there way back before I took my break. And I know you're on the the big jab as well. Yeah. But I love talking to those guys because there's just something different about their shows in general yeah. and it's fun. And you know, that's where I grew up too. That's my connection, but I've heard you and uh, you know, I think, uh, I think that's a really important way to expand your brand.
1: Yeah. I've, I've basically um, when you talk about your brand, like I have created a little thing for myself. I have, or I'm trying to be known as a Celtics kind of expert. Like, I I study this team. I watch the games. I watch them more than once very often. I'm watching plays over and over again. I'm looking at things and trying to decipher what's going on, trying to see down the road, just like a lot of us are. Like, you guys all do the same thing. But, you know, I've taken advantage of these opportunities where – um people have asked me to do things and I just keep saying yes. And, and I try to, whenever somebody has a podcast, I always want to be on that because I want, I just want to be out there. I want to be out there. I want to be on these shows. I want people to know who I am and I want to be seen as a Celtics and an NBA expert. Like I want to be in that mix and I don't always get everything right. And sometimes my takes aren't really on the money, but nobody's really, nobody's really batting a, a thousand with this. So was that
0: your original goal though? Cause I, I kind of sense that, that, that you sort of shifted in the way that you wanted to be perceived along that road too, because, and maybe you always understood the game of basketball really well, but you knew your niche was sort of this, the, like you said, the sarcasm, the entertainment, the Photoshop. And then as you, well, really began to dabble in podcasting and different types of media, and then you're going on these TV uh, radio spots. It's almost like you had to create a new version of you a little bit and interject the, you know, the sarcastic piece as well. But, you know, the morning dump and that style, which has, I'm glad that has stayed throughout, you know, the morning dumps really been like the constant, but I think that on the radio spots, you're sort of required to be a slightly different person, right? So you have to create these like alternate personalities that fit the audience that you're appealing to, depending on what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Um, I try to, well, I try to be myself. Like I, and I, I do temper certain things from time to time. Like I won't go completely goofy. Like the podcast, me, me, is a little different than the radio hit me and you know, I, I, try to interject my personality as much as I can, but I also want to answer questions and I do see the game. I, when I first started, this was just all kind of a lark. Like this was just at the, at that point I was married, uh, which I no longer am. And I was going down a certain road where you know I was doing the, the things that I would thought I was supposed to do work wise, and this was just always going to be a little hobby. And then I, that all changed. I want to say like six, six or seven years ago, and I, I really just always have put my focus on this. And no matter what I'm doing, like this is always my priority. I always gravitate towards this. Basketball has been the basketball has been the most important thing in my life. Uh, it's completely changed who I am. I started in, I started playing for real in like middle school. In high school, my freshman year, I was terrible. I couldn't make a layup. I was horrible. But I was six three as a freshman in high school, and my coach was like, "You're going to play back. Like we can't coach this height. We're going to teach you how to play basketball." And I went to Providence College basketball camps. I played in summer leagues. I did all that stuff. By the time I was a senior i was I was being recruited to play Division two II, Division three. I went to Emerson to play div that's a Division three school.
0: Uh, I did the- great broadcast school, so that was a nice place to land
1: yes so and I went there specifically because they had both that I was you know I wanted to I wanted to build something Emerson was a terrible school as far as basketball goes and we built a pretty good program. I had a very nice career. I scored like fifteen hundred points I got a thousand rebounds i I managed to go play in Greece for a season. So I, I've accomplished a lot. I've I've squeezed every bit of basketball out of my body that I could, and it and it's made me grow up and see. It's allowed me to see the world. I played on a traveling team that took me around the country. I got to see various cities around around the country for free and play basketball. I've been a player my whole life. I still see myself as a player, even though I'm 43 years old and I barely play anymore. I still see myself as a player, so when you see the stuff that I write, when you see my takes on Twitter, it's almost always from a player's perspective. I always see it from their perspective, I see what they're going through, I know what it takes to be your best, and I always like to say like I've worked as hard as any basketball player ever, like I've worked you you the guys in the n b a I've gone through the same workouts. I've done the same thing. The difference is they have the talent to be (laughs) NBA players. And my talent got me to a crappy team in Greece. Like, my talent level was – that was the end of my line.
0: What was that like, though? Had you already – because you just said your heritage, literally first generation in America. So what – had you gone back to Greece at all up until that point, or was that like your opportunity to spend some time, sort of connecting with I, where you came from? I
1: hadn't been back to Greece at that point. I was in my early twenties. Was like twenty two, twenty three. So I hadn't been back to Greece in like eleven years. So it was an eleven year gap between. So I was a yeah, was and you like weren't 12. even a man.
0: You were just a I was kid, just a, a wide eyed kid. kid. Yeah. Yep.
1: So I went and it was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make this sound like I was playing for Panathinaikos or anything like that, where, you know, I was playing for a little crappy team where, you know, in front of like 4,000 fans and it was, you know, little buses, but you know, look, we got, we, we flew to different islands. We had different things like it was, it was wild. It was crazy. Um, I'm, I, I regret having left because I left under a, a contract dispute, um, If I had been more of the mindset that I am now, if I was a little more grown up back then, I would have probably stayed and tried something else. But I'd also gone through a couple of pretty bad injuries too. So I was feeling very down about my career. Um, It was basically over. I tore
0: my quad. I, I slipped a disc in my back. It was just bad. Well, slip disk is I mean, that's that means you're playing through pain yeah. every every day, no matter what. There you you can't even avoid that. But you know what's interesting about it is you sort of downplay that that the talent level, so to speak. But it really doesn't matter, right? Just like covering the Celtics and doing a blog, it's a labor of love. You know anything that you try to do to the best of your ability it requires a passion and an energy that isn't always compensated, maybe the way you would want it to be. But but it's a labor of love. You can't even help yourself.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. And I still like to get out there and play. And I, even though sometimes I'm like, "What the hell am I doing? Have I ever played basketball before?
0: How come you haven't taken on Jay King since the Bobby Manning moment? I mean, come on, co host. the mano. <laughs> Has <laughs> he told you as much?
1: Uh, no, no. We've we've talked. I, I got to get back. Uh, you know, like I got to get a, a a time to get out there and play because, um, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. I and I feel I actually feel pretty good right now.
0: Honestly, that I know you're. You know, I, I want to give you a moment to uh to plug your the your fundraising efforts right now for a good cause too. I don't know if the door door's closed on that, but um, the push up. But I, yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh, I could do that right now. Um, so I, i've kind of put I paused
1: it because I, I realized that I was doing this push up so it 's the twenty two push up challenge and it's twenty two push ups for twenty two days. It started out as a you know a suicide prevention thing for for veterans. Uh, I wanted to make it a little bit bigger. I paused it because I realized that I was doing this during everybody's vacation. And no one's really kind of paying attention. Like a lot, a lot of people aren't on
0: Twitter. Yeah, you almost have to do it coming out of Labor Day, no yeah. doubt.
1: So I, I've kind of paused it until like, see, I'm going to pick it back up. I've done seven or eight days. So I've got plenty of time to do this. But I'm going to pick it up again after Labor Day. And in September is Suicide Prevention Month, uh, which it, it's this is a big, a big, big, big deal for me because um, on top of the I'm doing this based on on veterans and and getting them the help that they need the physical and mental rehabilitation after their injuries serving our country that's a that's a big deal for me because I have the utmost respect for people that are going into war zones and, and putting their lives uh, on the line so if I if, if it just takes, Friggin' 22 pushups a day and people can give me some money and we can do this. Then that's, that's like, literally it's like the least I can do. It's, I can almost do no less, but it's something that I, I'm happy to do. But suicide is something that's touched my life personally because one of my best friends of all time, a guy I considered my brother, his name is Carlos Broussard, nicknamed Dell. If you see me, I have his, his name tattooed over my, my heart. Uh, he was my roommate, my junior year at Emerson we we clicked we were we were the exact same person except uh, he was from LA and he was a Lakers fan and I was from Boston and obviously a Celtics <laughs> fan
0: you almost should screen that out before you put people in the same room
1: <laughs> but we were so close in every other way that it was it worked it worked for us and he's a guy that I love, 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 love. He, and he was like one of the most talented music producers I've ever, ever known. He he created – we did a four-song uh, EP for his senior thesis in music production, which he he produced on a reel-to-reel. And he made the beats. We did rap songs, and he made the beats – by cutting, splicing tape, and putting it together, and he didn't like get a perfect loop. It was just amazing. It's like it's like building a car from scrap metal. What he did,
0: and, and I'm not even sure again that people listening to this podcast even know what reel to reel is.
1: Yeah, it's just tape. You know, that's like it's
0: like eight track tape. Big and,
1: reels yeah. of tape. Um, so oh man, I got stories with this kid. We we bet we bet um <laughs> there. I've won bets and lost bets with him on the Celtics-Lakers. This was um, 1993, I want to say. And we had a bet on a game, Celtics-Lakers. Nick Van Exel hit a three to win the game. I'll never forget this. He caught the ball on the sideline. It was a buzzer beater. His heels were over... The, the line he would have been if he had put his heels down he would have been out of bounds but he caught the ball and spun and shot without his heels touching the floor he stayed in bounds and he hit the three to win the game and I as a college kid owed this kid like a lobster roll and chowder at Quincy Market
0: <laughs> he was looking forward to that coming oh from my LA God.
1: Oh, but then I got him back the next season I think it was the next season we had a bet just on the entire season. Team with a better record, the loser has to win. Uh, the loser had to wear the opposing team's gear around campus for a week. And thankfully, the Celtics had the better record that year. And I got pictures of him walking around in Celtics gear. I got friends to pitch in. It was the ugliest Kelly Green, all Celtic stuff, the old vinyl jackets. It was great. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, beautiful. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about.
1: So... Uh, Where did you get the jacket?
0: Somebody a friend like of a mine had heirloom it. Hanging friend, up a, in the... A friend oh. of mine
1: had it. Somebody at school had it, and I borrowed it, and he had to wear it. So the sad part of all of this is that he he took his own life after... Um, it was a couple years after we graduated, uh, and just... I I just miss the kid every day, so... Anything I can do to help bring attention to mental health, um, and, and help maybe somebody help deal with it. Or if you have a friend, maybe you can find a way to talk to him or her the right way. And and maybe you can turn a life around or, 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 some kind of counseling or anything we can do. So that's something that, that touches my life very closely. Um, so, yeah, so that's part of why the push-up challenge is, is very important to me. Uh, for soldiers, their mental health, you don't see it. You, they, you can get a leg blown off and you come back and you put a prosthetic on and we see the prosthetic and we stand and we'll salute and we'll say, thank you for your service. Okay, that, that's amazing. But what if you come back with your body intact but you saw the worst things that people can see and you saw your friends get killed and you, you have gone through all of this stuff and you come back and you don't have a thing that we can see. And we say, thank you for your service, but you have this PTSD and something that is, has debilitating, maybe more debilitating
0: because it affects you. It's silent. It's not as obvious. Yeah. And it's hard to know what, you know, you, you, uh, you hear about this a lot with veterans, and we're only just now getting a lot more awareness. And I used to actually work in mental health, John, so um, work, worked uh, with some street kids with drug and alcohol problems and a couple of other things. As a nurse, there was a time when I worked in mental health, but you're absolutely right about about PTSD. You know, it's, it's very hard, you know, head injuries is another one. And so somebody could come back without PTSD, but they could still have mental health struggles because of, you know, uh, head injuries from like explosions and blasts that again, you don't see it physically outward, but the pain is very real inside.
1: Yeah. And so look, that's something we need to pay attention to. And in a broader spectrum, just in general, there's a lot of and it's easy to make fun of things like, Oh, that guy's acting crazy. But they're they're look, chemistry is different in everybody and the things that you know you can say, get over get over certain things, get over it, man. Stop moping or whatever. But depression and stuff like that, it's very real, and there are things that people can't control. So these are things that we need to be more sensitive to. So you know Yeah, the
0: idea that people would choose to have that, like they can't, you know, just a stiff upper lip and you know, and that's uh that's nonsense. Yeah. It's total nonsense.
1: So that's that's an important thing to me. So that that's why I'm doing this. Oh, so anyway, if people want to donate, it's very simple. It's classy.org slash corralis. Classy.org slash corallis. I'm gonna putting it on my public Facebook page, uh, just the videos, me doing the push-ups and everything, and I'll be tweeting it out. I'll do it after Labor Day when people start coming back and maybe we can get some some donations in. Um uh, but it's 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 for a good cause, and you know anytime uh I have an opportunity to do something that might be for a good cause, I'll do it uh the, There are a lot out there. there there are so many things that we need to do to help to help fix the world um so beyond basketball like i'll I'll be happy if if there's any little bit that I can do with the tiny little stage that i have I'm happy to do it
0: I was gonna say too, leading into that you know sort of joking about you and and Jay King having a little one on one you know even that on its own would be a great fundraiser. But if we could pull a bunch of the bloggers and and media members together and did, you know, if we could get some like big Celtics coverage, you know, not just limited to blogs or podcasts, but the whole gamut, if we could organize something like that, it would be, you know, maybe a five on five or maybe they're three on three tournaments, you know, half court, three on three, whatever. It would be a, a hell of a fundraiser. And I think the way that, Everybody works together on Twitter uh, amongst the people that cover the team. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we all kind of joke with each other and have fun and um, whatnot on Twitter. But you could almost see like a a really cool fundraiser coming out of that. So, listen, everybody, you can follow John at Red's Army, but definitely go to it was classy.org backslash Corrales. Yep. Correct. Yep. So definitely go there and donate. We're not done yet, though. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our newest sponsor, Audible.com, and then we're going to come back with John Corrales of Red's Army and the Rain and Jays podcast on the Locked On Network. All right, John, we're coming back and uh, we're down the home stretch now. This has been an awesome interview. I can't even tell you how much I've enjoyed it already, and probably the one that has gone on such a wide variety of, of topics. You know, a lot of the series to date has been focused on, you know, what people can do to sort of become a blogger, how they can make their niche, how they manage their personal brand, uh, you know, ways to potentially monetize it, but setting the expectations right. If they were to get credentials, how they move around in the in the locker room and, you know, just some good tips for Some of them have been great tips for just career development, even if it's not related to, you know, media or blogging, podcasting, et cetera, but not a lot of them, and well, I'm not going to say not a lot of them, all of them have given, I think, the listeners some um, insight into who the people are, you know, behind the, the coverage or, you know, behind the blog or the website or the newspaper, whatever, but I think in your case, this has been one of the most candid interviews we've had. And if anybody doesn't walk away having a better appreciation for who John Corrales is, I'd be really surprised just because of, again, the way that the interview has gone. But but maybe we talk a little bit more um, about Red's Army and the Locked On podcast and your entering into podcasting. I mean, it seems like a pretty natural development You know that that somebody who has had a blog and was there early on would then evolve into podcasting. But I kind of wanted to pick your brain because I remember that's really my first foray. Like I put up a website just so that I had a place to distribute sort of the audio and keep people engaged to some level in the early days. But I got right into podcasting. And I can remember the first podcast I ever did, and even if I pulled it up, I was miserable. I had no radio experience. The only thing was people were telling me, I did medical necessity reviews for an insurance company at the time, and people were, all the people I was calling at the hospitals were saying, "Oh, you got a great voice for radio. Have you ever done radio?" And I said, "No, you know, I, I didn't get trained to be you know in radio. I got trained to be a registered nurse, and you know, here I am today. But you know, it's something I'd love to do. And then when I finally got into it, I mean, I sucked." And so I, I just want to know, you know, I got better over time and I had friends in radio that gave me some tips and avoid the filler words and don't be afraid for a little bit of silence here and there for a little bit. But how did you get into the podcast piece and you and Jay compliment each other very well on the show, but how did you decide to get into podcasting and was it as difficult for you as it was for me in the (laughs) early going to like be the lead man and I mean, I, I love to talk but it's totally different when you have to listen to yourself afterwards at critique.
1: Yeah. You know, the thing is, I think one of the keys is you can't be afraid to fail. You can't be afraid to suck at something because this is the great thing. Scientists love failure as much as they love success because when you fail, you realize what what not to do. And so it's okay if anybody's listening or wants to start – Go ahead and do it. Just do it and be bad. And then listen and be like, oh, that was terrible. I got to not do that anymore. And once you learn, I don't do that anymore, you stop doing it and you get better. I've always loved to talk. My personality has developed to a point where I've, I've always kind of enjoyed being the driver of a conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily shy. I used to be, but. As I developed you know my own personality through various like you know you get bullied a little bit, you develop the defense mechanism you learn that humor is a way to kind of defend against certain things that people will say about you that's how you start to that's how I grew into this personality so I went to school for broadcasting i i went <laughs> when I got to Emerson College, I was like this. Uh, I was a little unaware of how the rest of the world worked.
0: Uh, I had a horrible Rhode Island. Accent. You were going to say naive. <laughs> uh, a little. But we all are, though, right? That's yeah. just kind of the. I mean, how can you not be when you're young? It's just it, part of life.
1: And it goes back to what I was saying before. Like, I didn't know what everybody else's America was like. And then you get to college and. You know, like, oh, this is what you know these are different people from different cultures, different backgrounds, and you start to learn about everybody, and you say, "Oh, okay, and then you know you're around people that may may have had prejudices and stereotypes, and you go to places like a like a college and you say that's all crap that those stereotypes are t- that's just horrible I don't know why that even came about. You start to learn about people and respect their backgrounds, and you say, "Oh okay, you grow up that way uh." But anyway, broadcasting-wise, I got there. I had a horrible Rhode Island accent. And if people don't know what the Rhode Island accent is, picture the New York accent and the Boston accent got together and had a baby, and that baby, that's the Rhode Island accent. It's a horrible mix of the two accents. It's just, ugh, it's gross. (laughs) But Emerson had a class called Voice and Articulation, where for an entire semester, it's learning how to talk. And you have... Uh, Basically, any regionalism you have is beaten out of you. And the point is, you're supposed to be trained to work in any market, anywhere, no matter what. So I can go work in Portland, Oregon, San Antonio, Texas, Indiana, wherever, all over the country. I I have a
0: generic voice now. Right. So people say... Wait, where are you from? And you're like, Oh, I'm from Rhode Island. Oh, you don't you don't What's have that? an accent. Yeah. When I tell people I'm from Maine, it's the same thing. They're like, Yeah, you don't have an accent, although it wasn't trained out of me like it apparently was for you.
1: It was. It was I had it's a lot of like over exaggerations. So when you drop your ERs, I had to like over exaggerate, like when you say like park, like park, park you have to do like those <laughs> Like things, and you had to learn how to speak with an open throat. You get very aware of where your voice is coming from. Are you pushing through your diaphragm, or are you speaking through the back of your throat? Are you nasally? Are you do- so all of these things you start to learn, and it's part of your craft. Just like you hear KG, you learn your craft, and that's something that I learned. I learned how to speak properly. Um, and then you know I got some work on camera. I, I was, you know, anchoring the sports casts. And so I've always kind of been gearing up towards some sort of broadcasting. So when we started the blog and I heard you guys, I was like, wait a minute. We could talk too. this is amazing. So I remember when I, I was listening to you guys at first and I was trying to reverse engineer how you guys were going live. Like, there must be a way. (laughs) I'm, like, learning about opening ports and doing blah, 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 and this and that. I I couldn't quite figure it out because I'm not that technologically
0: John, if you knew how much effort went into... Setting up the, cause I, again, I, I had young kids and I had a cat that used to eat on, eat the knobs off of my mixing board. But <laughs> if you knew how much time went in, like connecting all the different pieces of equipment early on and the, the crappy phone coupler that we had and then how the code had to be put together and, and having like, it, you would have said, I can do that and, and I could have shown you how to do it. You just wouldn't have done it because it wouldn't have been worth it. It was so crazy. When blog talk radio came about, my life got a lot easier. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah.
1: But you know what? I, I would have done it. That's the thing. This is, this is what I want to do. This is, these are the things that I want to do. Like this is my life. I want to talk in the radio. I want to be on camera and do TV stuff And I, this is what I want to be a broadcaster. That's, that's always been my goal. The writing, I love it, but it's so much easier to talk. I don't have to type. I, it's so much easier for me to get my point across. You hear my inflection. You can tell when I'm being sarcastic, you can tell, and I can argue, and we can interrupt or we can do whatever you can tell when I'm excited. I can and I
0: love... It's so much more organic is what you're it getting It is. At.
1: It totally is. And so I, I that's, that's me. This is my personality. The podcast, I gravitate towards it because I like talking to people. I like... And not that I just... I joke that I like hearing the sound of my own voice. I don't do that. I don't listen to my own voice all the time.
0: Do you listen to your shows afterwards, though, continuously? Or only do you pick a couple? Or how do you... How do you sort of hone that? Because you've had some training, so you might feel a lot more comfortable just letting it roll. But I just wonder—you know—do you listen to your own I shows? Do. And-
1: I do listen. If I if I feel like I've had a particularly bad show, um, I will. I'll go back and I'll listen. Much like uh, guys on the Celtics will go back and watch game film, I'll go back and listen to see was I was I picking
0: up on what Jay was
1: saying. Was I cognizant? Was I
0: being a good listener? That is a great, and there, there I am interrupting you, but oh, I was fine. listening to you. That is one thing that I notice sometimes happens. That waiting to talk is really obvious in podcasting and broadcasting.
1: the The thing that now I consider myself a host, like I want to host the show, and obviously Jay and I are, we're, we're co hosts, but when when it's me and Jay, I'm doing the intro. I'm transitioning. I'm doing these things, and 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 Jay's following my lead. Generally speaking, when he's on his own, he does a very nice job hosting the show as well. But this is the role that I see myself as. That I'm I'm going from point to point to point and picking up on when the conversation has died, when it needs to move on, and stuff like that. So there's a very um, you have to pick up on inflection. And you can tell, and I try to exaggerate when I'm with somebody. So for example, here we are, you and me, we're not in the same room, we're talking. And so I'm talking about the Celtics. And when I start talking about the Celtics, I'm going up. My inflection is going up. But here I am, I'm wrapping up my point, And now I'm talking a little bit lower and grinding to a little bit of a halt. Boom. That's the inflection. That's the audio cue to you to, sa- to pick right up. And be seamless. So I make that. And if you listen to the, the podcast. Whenever I'm I'm starting up. My, my inflection goes up. My tone goes up. And when I'm wrapping up my point. I go down a little bit. And we're wrapping it up. And that's the end of my sentence. Done. And that's.
0: I keep feeling like I'm supposed to jump in but I know you're still making a point. <laughs> but see, but you know, <laughs> but it is, it is a cue that. that we all inherently know. Exactly. Even in that sentence
1: when you say it's a cue that we all inherently know. I know that's the end of your sentence and now I get to pick it up. So that those are the little things, those are the little nuances that within our little thing when we're our industry, you know, when you're not in the same room, these are these are tricks that we have to learn on our own. And that's what we do. So when I know after working with Jay for a while, and I love Jay King, by the way, Jay King is great. He's, he, let me, I'll, I'll gush about him in a second. We've, we've always had a good chemistry because he did Celtics town and Celtics town was very much like reds army. So I always loved his, his tone, uh, but he's also very good. And he's very knowledgeable. So we we clicked – We I always knew that we clicked beforehand because we had talked to each other a bit before. He had been doing the show and been doing some video, and he wanted to do a podcast. And yet, he, he just asked me at the beginning of last season, it's like, hey, we want to do more of a podcast. Would would you want to do it with me? I was like, yeah, totally. I've always wanted to do a regular podcast. So it was good to have somebody that I knew was always going to be available uh, to, to do that. So – Um, but so I was never worried about the the chemistry or anything like that. That was always going to be there. We just had to work together to figure out when naturally, when do his points end? When do I need to hop in
0: and stuff like that? I think we, that's just experience. Yeah. That just comes with time, especially if you're committed to the product and you're both tireless workers. I mean, did you ever have in the early going, because then that's when you were really listening to the shows, and I do listen to my shows as well, you know, so it's not, it's not, a it's, I don't think it's a narcissistic thing to do, it's a self-improvement opportunity, and a lot of people have trouble hearing themselves afterwards, because they don't want to go through the self-critique, and I don't blame anybody for that either, but for me, it's something I have to put up with if I want to be better, at least in my own mind, in my own practice, but have you ever had a show that you taped, and maybe it was with Jay, or maybe it was with somebody else, but after it's done, you're thinking you just have this feeling. It's like that was horrible. I mean, that just did not go well. And then you go back and listen to it, and you realize it's one of the best shows you've had recently. <laughs> have, you, have you ever been so far off like that before? Because I've definitely had that experience even recently.
1: I've I've had shows where I I, I felt like it's bad. I I may not have. Uh, I've drawn blanks. Uh, maybe I maybe I just zoned out for some reason uh, whatever. I, I feel like it just wasn't great. And then I listened to it again. and am like, all right, it wasn't so bad. And that's the one thing in my 20 years of broadcasting that I've always learned that even when, when I'm producing a television show and I come out of the booth and I say, Oh God, that was horrible. And then you watch the air check back and you go, Oh no, it's fine. It was it really, wasn't that bad. Uh, I just did a piece. I just did an on air piece for channel five in New York uh on the sneaker culture and I recorded my tracks for the package and I gave it to the editor and I was like, let me know if you need me to retrack that. And he put the package together and damn it if everybody doesn't say, I really like the way you track that piece. And it's just like, oh, and I listened to it again. I was like, oh, that wasn't as bad at all.
0: So, yeah, it's our it's our state of mind and our confidence level when it's going on, but it doesn't necessarily come out. And you think all the time that that self-conscious state that you're in, or maybe you're just having a bad day, you think that it's always influencing your product. And sure, if you were really distracted or maybe you were going down a, a really bad spiral, of course it eventually would. But the truth is, is state of mind has much more of an impact on perception than is truly reality in many cases, which is just... It's such an interesting phenomenon to me because I have. I've had, oh, I didn't think that show was all that great. Then I listened to it. And I'm like, that's not bad. And just, just like you're describing, it's like, oh, it's it's not as bad. And, and you hand it over with a little bit of insecurity about it. Sometimes it's also impacted by how much stock you're putting into it. Like, how good do you need it to be because of what it means to you versus ah, you know, this is just something I do every week, so I'm just going to get this one out of the way and I'm going to knock it out and it's me and Jay and it's the same and we know what we're doing we've just got new material and we're humming along so you're in a groove whereas maybe the sneaker spot's something brand new and you love sneakers we definitely know that yeah. about you uh and yeah. you got help from twitter to make sure that you got got oh, the sneakers. oh my yeah. god yes
1: thank god i just got them delivered today woo sweet <laughs> oh did they come today yes the 11 <laughs> oh, lows, gold oh my goodness those are sweet i'm gonna go sleep with those under my
0: pillow <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we are oh go ahead are you you're, you're going are you wrapping up well we're getting close i mean we still have a little bit of time left but it, i mean you got really excited so i want you to No, I, right.
1: I was gonna i was gonna continue the point about the broadcasting and stuff like look I, this this is an industry where we're constantly being judged and it's it's very similar it's funny that we we are doing this to talk about basketball and sports but our industry is very similar to sports where we put ourselves out there and there are consumers who are listening to us and judging us or watching us and judging us you watch a Celtics game and you say eh, i'm not so sure about Marcus Smart i don't know what he's about to become i really don't know what his long term future is well people listen to our podcast and they say no John Corrales, he's you know they might say he's okay but eh, you know i don't know if he's ever going to be like a radio guy or if they see me on tv and they say all right that was fine but i don't buy him as a re- or as a, re- a reporter That's you're constantly being judged. So there is insecurity and I, I can never, if I ever find myself in a quote unquote groove, like we can be in a groove and be, have a groove of good shows, but like I, I can't ever let myself get to a point where I'm just saying, let's just do the show. Let's get it over with and move on. Like I got, if I, if I'm doing that, then I'm not giving you good shows It's uninspired. It's not right. Then why am I, I might as well just shut up, sell my microphone and move on. But that's, I, I can't do that. This is, if you want to know who I am, this is who I am. This is, I can't stop broadcasting. I can't do it. And I always want to be the best at it. And I've, I've always wanted to be the best in the world at something. And this is my chance to maybe get close to that, but I'm nowhere near it and I want to be there. And, you know, I, I I had some, some of that with basketball. I got to my absolute pinnacle with basketball. Now I'm here and every podcast I go back and I'm like, Oh, so our, our podcast had a new sponsor and I have to do a live read. And did I do that live read right? Did I hit it at the right mark? Um, okay, great. Did it sound natural? Are they going to be happy with that? Am I going to piss off the listener? And then on top of it, I'm listening. I'm like, my voice got a little nasally there. I'm going, and I'm I'm judging my own voice, the quality, the depth of my own voice, the inflection, the the pace of the show. Did I let this linger on too long? Did I jump on P on J too much? Did I let the guest? do this? Or did I, did I ask the right questions? Are people going to be entertained and informed? And I just, I got to keep hitting on those points. I need everything to be perfect. Every show has to be perfect to me. And when I go back and I listen, I'm like, okay, this is, I got to clean that up. I got to clean that up and you're never going to have the perfect show. Uh, but that's something I'm always going to strive for. So, but that, this is me. I am a broadcaster now and, and that's what drives me. The podcast drives me, and I do other work full-time. I'm busting my ass to get in front of a microphone in time to do these shows, but uh, that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. and For listeners to listen to the show and make our show part of their routine, along with your show, along with other shows, as long as we're part of the routine and people listen and like the product, then that makes me
0: happy. All right. So here's the Rod Tidwell, you know, maybe we can get some tears out of John Corrales. No, <laughs> I'm not going to cry, Roy. <laughs> what if you could go back and change anything, you know, there's always like sort of when we talk about people and now you've had over a decades of experience at this, but if you could go back and change something, like what is there anything that sticks out that you would do slightly different or maybe you would do something sooner, I don't know, but I'm not really talking necessarily regrets, although that would be the that would be the tidwell tears move, but it it really can be anything. Is just is there something that you kind of think I wish I I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done it a little bit differently?
1: Uh no. Because all of my missteps have brought me to this point and they've all taught me important lessons about myself. Uh, maybe if, if I had been more mature about certain things, I would have handled things a little bit differently and yeah, maybe I, I I would have, yeah, I, I, I might have gone away younger and, but I needed to be with my family Uh, and need to stick around Boston and Rhode Island and and start my career there for personal reasons, you know, my, you know, to be close to my family, I felt like they needed me. So I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily where I want to be career wise, but I feel like I can get there. I feel like I'm in a position where at some point something's going to break and maybe it's breaking now that will get me to a place where i'm i'm just genuinely happy to start and end my day doing what i'm doing and and right now it's a little bit of a hustle it's a little bit of a grind but that's okay but
0: you know there's a charge that comes from that it, it is it, it, it's sort of like drinking six cups of coffee and when you when you are grinding you don't even realize how much momentum you're generating. It's sort of like that Malcolm Gladwell, the tipping point. You have to keep grinding and keep grinding. But I'm going to also say that for me personally, it's always – I think I've said this on one of these shows, but I've definitely said it to a lot of people in my life. But even once the Celtics got good, and especially after a couple of years of being championship level – I don't want to say it got less exciting, but the regular season, there was less of a tell. Like, I remember asking questions about Leon Poe because the end of the bench was exciting to me because I still felt like there was things that might change. And there were nuances to the game, and the team did get better, and then they had to deal with injuries. And it wasn't like we lacked any kind of conversation points necessarily but like the state that the Celtics are in now and very I want to just relate it to what you're making your point about your career and what I enjoyed the most about Celtics stuff live is during that grind and that ride to the top it's you're paying your dues and you're there's something about that time when maybe you're making the sacrifices that once you reach the pinnacle and you finally get a chance to exhale I don't think you enjoy being there as much, and I'm not saying you don't enjoy being there, and that the reward isn't all worth it, but I think there is something that you always look back at the grind and go, "Man, those were the days." Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: I mean, at, at some point, there's a reward. You, it feels rewarding to accomplish something when you know you've worked hard for it. Um, but, I mean, I, I would like to be done with the grind (laughs) and be done working nine hours, then rushing home to work a couple more hours um, and all of that. But look, it is what it is. But back to the original question, I I wouldn't change anything. And um, because I am who I am and I've learned important lessons along the way. And I, I won't trade those lessons for any level of success because maybe certain things would have worked out better career wise, but maybe they wouldn't have worked out for me personally and I might not feel as fulfilled or maybe I just feel different. I'd be in a different city doing different things, just feeling different, but not necessarily better than what I am now.
0: This is yeah. You'd you'd be the paralleled, Parallel universe version of John Corrales. And that's the, like, I'm
1: just trying to do my thing, man. And I'm trying to live my life. I'm trying to be part of this world and try to be a productive part of society. I'm trying to not hurt people along the way. And that's not always successful, but I don't mean it. Um, I, I try to be a good person. I try to be a productive member of society. And my role in this world has worked out to be a guy who talks about basketball that maybe people who don't watch basketball as much as I do, you look to me for an opinion and some analysis and some entertainment. And I can provide that. And and right now I'm providing it for, you know, a few thousand people a podcast and, you know, a few thousand people a day on Red's Army. Maybe if I'm lucky, uh it'll be a few hundred thousand people or a few million people. And, and, and if I'm lucky and I'll work towards it and that's what I want to be. And, and if I can do something simple that I enjoy doing and other people can consume that product that I'm putting out there and gather some enjoyment and some information from that and, and feel better about the game of basketball, maybe they know a little bit more, maybe they've been entertained by it a little bit more, then I'm happy. That's, that's all I want. I want to be part of people's lives, making their enriching their lives a little bit, which we all do, which you do, and which other people do. And I just want to be able to do that a lot more.
0: He is who he is, and that man is John Corrales of <laughs> Redsarmy.com and the Rain and Jays podcast on the Locked On Network. John, thanks a lot for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation today.
1: Hey man, thanks for having me. I didn't realize this was the direction it was gonna go, but uh yeah, man, I love it.
0: Yeah. It's meant to be a little bit different and to shake it up a little bit for the off season and, and to find a way to um you know make it fun during these doldrums i didn't know that the players were going to snapchat or that isaiah thomas was gonna be going to go in 12 for 12 you know with the seattle seahawks or anything i didn't realize there was going to be so much material but i've enjoyed doing the series and i i honestly feel like uh, this series has done a really nice job of giving listeners of our show and the shows that the guests uh put out for the listeners is really giving him a, a almost like a an insider look you know I, I've had a few people describe it as like the sixty minutes of the off season for celtics coverage, and uh, I've enjoyed it a ton, but I definitely enjoyed this one a lot and I appreciate you coming on the show
1: hey man, you know you know I love you guys um we'll joke around on our podcast about you know blah blah, blah whatever we'll take shots at everybody and and have some fun with it, but you guys are the originals. And, and seriously, you guys inspired us, inspired me to be able to do this. I, I wasn't kidding when I said earlier. Like I heard you guys, and I was like, whoa. So I, it's always my pleasure, um, and and forever we'll have a connection to you guys, and and thank you very much.
0: You can follow them on Twitter at RedsArmy. Don't forget to go over to RedsArmy.com and listen to the Rain and Jays podcast on the Locked On Network. Just another great interview in this off-season interview series want to be a big thanks to John really for making this one a real personal one which was great i can tell you i enjoyed it and even after we completed the interview John and i talked for a couple of minutes and and John said hey this was a unique a unique perspective got a little personal there but i liked it i liked it and you know what that is really another aspect of this off-season interview series while many of these podcasts have been about sort of Lifting, uh, lifting up the curtain and letting everybody maybe see what it takes to be successful in online media or have fun or just some tips and, and advice for for budding media. The other thing is to connect you with the people that you listen to or that you read every day and kind of let you know what's going on inside of their heads. So John, very, very gracious with his time and his insights in this podcast. Really enjoyed that interview. We're going to be back again next week. But in the meantime, I want to wish everybody a safe and enjoyable holiday weekend here. So have a great Labor Day, and we'll see you again next week right here on Celtic Stuff Live. and. Don't forget, this broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as CLNSRadio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. You can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review. We really want your feedback, and it will help us improve the show. And a reminder that today's show is brought to you by Audible.com and FanEssentials.net. They've got a great deal for all you listeners, but most importantly, you'd be supporting Celtic Stuff Live and the entire CLNS Radio network. A huge thanks to the whole, the entire loyal CLNS Radio audience who makes it all worthwhile. And for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host ho- John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.